Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast uh, for The Library is Open with Bywater Solutions. My name is Jessica Zero, and we have with us Nathan Carullo. Our guests today are from Every Library, and our podcast today will feature The Libraries Matter. So, John and Patrick, welcome. Hey. Uh, John, Patrick, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, okay? Sure. This is John here, everybody. Good morning, or good day. Um, Every Library is set up as a political action committee for libraries. We're the first national super PAC for libraries. We uh, raise and expend money to help libraries win elections for bonds, millages, levies, warrant articles, parcel taxes, the stuff that keeps you running, the stuff that remodels the new building, the stuff that builds the 21st century libraries uh, that should form the backbone of our communities. Um, as the executive director, uh, I got my start uh, in library land working for the American Library Association a number of years ago as the membership director there. Loved working with the librarians. Came back to it after a couple of years of, uh, of consultancy, uh, working with other associations to set up every library along with Patrick uh, and our colleagues, Erica Finley. Uh, she was our, our co-founder on this one. Um, we set it up in, in order to work on some problems that were out there in the community, uh, some problems around election day and communications, which I hope we can talk about some more as this, this morning progresses, this conversation progresses. But my background is not a librarian. I'm not a librarian by trade. I don't have a, a library degree. I've never worked in a library. I've been a trustee for my local library, and I've uh, done some other sorts of civilian kind of leadership. But uh, Patrick's the, one of the, uh, uh, Patrick himself is a librarian, though, by trade. Yeah, I, uh, I've been working on this with John for about four years um, when he brought me on board to start this whole thing. Um, I was working as a, as a uh, branch manager in the San Mateo County Library, uh, library system in sunny, beautiful California. And uh, I was then an administrator with um, Sunnyvale Public Library before I moved out here to New York um, and started doing every library full time. So this has been my full time job. Um, really excited about doing it. I do a lot of the uh, the digital social media um, data research kind of stuff too. So, cool, fantastic. So uh, we're going to launch into a, you know a couple questions to get to know you guys a little bit more and, and learn more about what your uh, your organization does. Uh, we would like to know what your first amazing experience in a library was. I want to hear Patrick's first. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I actually kind of grew up in the library. I started, uh, I was, I was a kid in, um, Tucson, Arizona and going to the, uh, Pima library system. And, uh, my li my librarian's name when I was a kid is, was Bobby Bargs and she worked at the, uh, Wilmont library and I still remember her and she put me in charge of like the, uh, the reading rainbow collection. And so I'd watch reading rainbow at home and then I'd come in and I'd find like the reading rainbow books that were featured and I'd put a reading rainbow sticker on them. And that was like my first library job. I was like, I must've <laughs> been like six or seven years old or something like that. Um, yeah. And I was at the, I mean, I was kind of a library kid growing up. We went there all the time. Um, and, uh, and Bobby Barks, she was like actually a close family friend. So she lived like right down the street from my grandparents and stuff. So we, we all knew each other really well. It was, uh, it was kind of just a, uh, I don't know, a really great experience growing up. Awesome. You know, the theme song for that show still pops into my head randomly. <laughs> yeah, you know, you won't believe how many people we talk to who are like, you know, we love libraries uh, because of our, you know, we grew up with Reading Rainbow or whatever, you know. 
and uh, uh, there, I think they had a really, really profound effect on uh, on on how making our job easier. Honestly, you know, I don't think I've ever heard that that story before, Patrick. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to hear it from you first. I didn't want you to try and one up me with a good one. Like that one's really like it's like finding out you have a new nickname. I didn't know that about you. You were working at six <laughs> years old in the library. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. Early, yep. early bloomer. Well, I've got it. Early bloomer, exactly. Or, or child labor. It's lovely either way. The um, yeah, for me, this is John again. The uh, the the early stories about libraries are you know as a user as a kid reading all the Hardy Boys, reading all the Nancy Drew, you know those kinds of things. But I think the most amazing story that I have was as when I was on the board of the library in uh, in Berwyn, Illinois, the town I grew up in, the town my kids are growing up in. But I was on the board of trustees, and we got a bequest. We got a bequest from a guy named George Vaverka. He, he was uh, somebody that I didn't know in the community, that nobody really knew in the community. Um, he was a uh, an engineer. He held about six or eight patents for GE. And when he died, he gave money away that he had gotten over the years from these patents. Uh, and part of it came to the library. And he wanted us to set up something that was just like an innovation lab to let kids in Berwyn, um, you know, do things that were unusual. My usual when I was a kid in Berwyn was like reading through the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew because of somebody like George who gave you know money after he passed away, he's never going to see what got done with it. Those kids in Berwyn now have got some extra juice, some extra leverage. And I, I like that. I like that, that kind of, a, of an amazing story. I didn't know about people in Berwyn, my hometown, who could actually you know, add that kind of leverage to the community. I, I thought that was pretty amazing. Very cool. Okay, um, can you guys tell us what do you see the current political climate affecting libraries in 2017 and beyond? Well, the um, situation in 2017 is going to be fascinating as the country changes for, for, from, um, well, with the Congress, the leadership in Congress that's being appointed to key committees, the the Speaker of the House, who's put out you know several budgets over the years that haven't gotten adopted, the Senate Majority Leader uh, certainly has a perspective. They all look in the Congress towards shrinking government. They all look in the Congress towards uh, defunding different federal programs. And I'm not speaking exclusively about libraries. This is education. This is workforce development. This is uh, pretty much everything except for, for wall building um, and for, for big infrastructure projects. The human services side of things is probably going to get ratcheted down. And then we've got uh, an administration that's coming together as of this recording uh, that still isn't in power yet, but the, the folks who are um, being appointed to run federal agencies in many cases, as we know, are not interested in seeing those federal agencies exist. Everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be massively different. Uh, to have a federal government that, that hates itself in a certain respect, uh, to have a federal government that's looking to shrink itself means that there's going to be more pressure on local government and local libraries and state government. Um, and the tax base that we've got doesn't necessarily have the elasticity in it, <clears throat> excuse me, for library services. Uh, it remains to be seen what the federal budget's going to look like, but we know very clearly that um, only you know, three, four, five percent of, libraries, of library funding comes from the federal side, on, on the public library side. So the pressure, though, on other local government, other state government to, to fill in the gaps. You know, if they cut off Obamacare like they're threatening to do, what's going to happen to health and human services at the local zip code level? Well, somebody's going to take up that slack. And that pressure on that health budget is going to affect everybody else. 
um, when it comes to the tone and tenor of the electorate, I mean, Patrick, you just wrote a, a good piece uh, on this about you know, what's the attitude within the electorate. I mean, you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we talked about this a lot after the after watching the debates with Hillary and, and Trump, and just afterwards listening to the people talk about who they thought won, what they heard in the debates, and there was just a huge rift between, you know, people who supported Trump, people who supported Hillary. They heard two completely different debates. They heard two completely different discussions on stage. Of course, Trump supporters believe that Trump won. The Clinton supporters believe that Clinton won. Um, and what it actually, we, we talked about a lot was this comes down to just the way we talk about politics in this country. We now have what is essentially like two very different languages around politics. And one of the things that really scares me moving into this is having the ability to speak the language of politics to the people that are in power. You know, the people who are in power right now, they want to talk about the economy. They want to talk about a bunch of other issues that, that librarians, culturally, we don't have those values. We, I mean, let's face it, we are, uh, libraries are a progressive institution. We have progressive individuals who primarily work in libraries. <clears throat> and how do we talk as progressives to the conservative side of politics when we don't even know that language very well? You know, when we don't speak when we don't use the same words even. We talk about social good, they talk about economic good. How do we talk about economic development? Uh, the libraries as an economic development agency when we've been talking about libraries as a social welfare organization. You know, how do we, how do we speak in a way that's gonna resonate with voters, that's gonna resonate with the public, that's gonna resonate with uh, the local and state and federal governances? We don't know, we don't have that language. So one of the things that we're really going to have to look at and really think about is how we talk about the work that we do. And it, I, it's not going to change any of the work that we do. Talking about libraries as an economic development agency isn't going to change me from, isn't going to keep me from doing story time or helping somebody find a job or helping somebody connect to government services. If I'm talking about it uh, as, as an economic development agency, whereas if I'm talking about as a social welfare organization, same work continues. Um, but but we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to communicate with that other side, um, and we, we see it crop up even on like our, our Facebook page um, on every the every library Facebook page. You know we see people getting in discussions in the comments. They're essentially saying the exact same thing. They're just using two different languages to argue about the same thing. You know, and it's really really interesting to see this crop up. And how are we going to deal with that in 2017, 2018? I don't know. We don't have the data. We're working on building the data around that. We're working on building the language around it. But right this second, we don't have it. And that's, I think that's kind of scary. Very interesting stuff. Um, I guess it's, it's more important now than ever that there are lower-priced open-source alternatives to higher-priced ILSs out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, one, one, of, one, of the big one of the big pieces of voter education that we need to do, Nathan, is to talk about how libraries put and librarians put tax money to work for maximum leverage. You know, like there's so many stories out there when folks are like, I'm voting against the government. I'm voting against those bureaucrats. I'm voting against those politicians because they waste my money. And if we can, can make a, a position uh, that's, that, that, that's contra to that, that's counter, counter narrative to that, where we can talk about the kind of leverage 
that's given by libraries in their community for a little bit of money, you know, and that the librarians who can put it to work for a little bit of money. Now, the little bit of money needs to be increased. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is not a do more with less conversation. Never with us is it a do more with less conversation. If we're going out with a library and they want to ask for a nickel, we encourage them to evaluate whether eight cents would be a better idea or 10. We don't push them to go to 25. That's a little crazy. But, you know, the difference between five cents, eight cents, 10 cents on, on, uh, to a voter, well, let's see what we really need. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the lower cost open source, you know, dude, that's why we're talking to you because we like the kind of work that's done over here. Awesome. So while we're on that topic, why don't you guys talk a little bit about voter education and the get out and vote techniques that, that you um, <clears throat> push? Sure. Well, let me talk about traditional and, and Patrick, I want you to talk about, uh, I want Patrick to talk about digital. The, um, we're not any different in terms of the voter education, uh, I'm sorry, the, the voter engagement techniques um, than it was in like the election that put James K. Polk into office, man. Like we're, we're pretty much the same, the same in a, uh, except in a digital way. It's people to people, it's neighbor to neighbor, it's voter to voter, it's endorsements that uh, drive the conversation. The, the validity of the plan uh, that the library has to do, who's spending my money, Where's my money going? Plan, what's the difference between us receiving the money as a library? Uh, plan A, you know, what happens if this thing passes? And plan B, what happens if it fails? Those are just human conversations. Uh, and folks really want to know. Uh, folks really want to know. The people who believe in a library really want to know. They want to they be activated in their belief. The folks who are suspicious about where taxes are going in their community want to have those suspicions allayed and their questions answered. So from a get out the vote perspective, a lot of it in the communities that we work on is person to person. That person to person might be somebody knocking on somebody's front door still in the 21st century because that's really powerful. Having somebody knock on your front door and talk to you about what they believe about the future of your hometown with a library at the center of it is really, really powerful. Um, and we train people how to do that. They might be picking up a telephone. Uh, and doing the phone banking, not robocalling. Robocalling is how you kill campaigns, how you build campaigns. It's when you have a person calling another person from a local you know, phone number. Or it might be digital. It might be through one of the, the digital channels. Um, but when you get right down to it, the get out the vote work has to be competent. It has to be human to human. And it has to be in, in, a, in a context that is honest about the plan for the community. Um, it's fascinating that in, in 2017, that, that still is what drives uh, interactions. It's what drove uh, Trump to the top of the ticket or to, to a win in some of those, those communities by a razor thin margin. You got your Wisconsin's, your Michigan's, your Pennsylvania's where the Republican National Committee came out and did the, the, the phone calls, came out and did the door knocking on his behalf. His campaign didn't have that kind of organization and the Clinton campaign didn't put the organization into those key states. It's 21st century, 2017, and the knock on the door still put the Electoral College into the Trump column. Huh. Yeah. So, Patrick, from a digital perspective, I mean, what are we up to? Can you talk a little bit more about how we're, how we're doing uh, as every library, yeah. some of that, that uh, voter education? Yeah. So, as, as, as an organization outside of the campaign work, I, I, and as John said, our campaigns are largely person-to-person. They're local communities. They're small communities. We're having, uh, right now we're working on a campaign in uh, Madison, Connecticut, uh, where they're using, uh, they're using volunteers to call local voters that they know in order to 
ask them to vote yes on this initiative, right? Um, we do a lot of that work. Now, what, what, what we do as an organization is a little bit different. Um, we are doing highly targeted ads. We're doing highly targeted messaging. We are building data around who to talk to, when to talk to them, why to talk to them, and what to talk to them about, um, which doesn't exist in the library industry, and it's what we're really trying to build up in the next couple of years. Um, <clears throat> I really want us to look at uh, uh, why people vote for libraries, who's most likely to vote for libraries, and, and what's going to motivate them to actually step up and take action on behalf of libraries. Those are, those are questions that we don't have answers to. But when you look at, you know, major packs in this country, uh, you know, from Credo to Sierra Club, uh, you know, the NRA, whoever, these large packs have huge, huge data sets and they have huge databases of known supporters, identified supporters. They know why those supporters uh, are, are motivated to vote for this issue or that initiative or whatever. The Democratic Party has it. The Republican Party has it. Um, the Americans for Prosperity Pact from the Koch brothers, they have millions of people in their database so that the second that anything happens within those industries, when anything happens around gun rights, the NRA can immediately mobilize millions of Americans to call senators, to take action, to march, to demonstrate, to rally up and do something uh, on behalf of gun rights in this country, right? And we don't have that in this industry at all. Our database is, you know, 100,000 strong, which is decent. It's not terrible. Um, it should be, you know, two to three million people strong if we want to make a significant difference in this country. If we could, if we could identify and mobilize and immediately contact a million people in this country, we would never have to worry about library funding. You know, if we could, if we could immediately contact, you know, they want to shut down um, the funding in, in Kentucky or Nebraska like, they, like they've been trying to do. And we immediately mobilized a million Americans to rally up and stand up and, and, and write letters, call, whatever, take some kind of meaningful action. Um, you know, we'd never be in those positions, right? And we're coming up against uh, the, the people who are against libraries aren't, uh, you know, nobody's, nobody's walking around holding signs that say, like, I hate libraries, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen. Libraries are really well supported. They're really well loved. But what we do have is people say, I hate taxes and I hate the government, right? And the data around people who hate taxes and, and the people who, who hate government, built by the Koch brothers and the AFP, built by uh, uh, the Tea Party, built by conservative think tanks, um, or even some uh, libertarian think tanks, or even some, some far left think tanks, you know? Um, they have huge data sets. And, and those are the people who we should be worried about. Um, the people who are against taxes and against government, because that's where we keep losing. It's not, it's not people who hate libraries. It's people who just don't want to pay a nickel more in taxes, or they're upset because the mayor didn't fill the pothole in front of their house two years ago, like he promised. And the library is now a proxy fight. You know, we, that's, that's what happens. So that is, that is our big digital initiative is to build up that data set, build that database, do the research, understand our voters, understand our, our supporters. <laughs> I think that's very important work and uh, kudos to you guys for, for championing that. Okay, great. We have um, time for two more questions. So um, one for you guys. Um, 
in a time when many, 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 many non-library users have no idea what their local library does, how do you persuade these individuals to see the light? It's, it's so tough, even for us, like in the open source world, like how, what, what are your techniques or um, your drives to help people see what libraries actually do today, um, you know, for our communities? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. We have a problem in library land um, where we, our marketing encourages people to use the library. That's, that's the, the, our history of library marketing is come and use the library, come and see the library, your heart will be converted. When the user status of the voter, the user status of the constituent of the politician, the user status of the donor doesn't matter. The, uh, the idea that all, all of our marketing dollars goes into use of the library means that anybody who's not a user but who's favorably disposed to the library, might be a library lover even, they have to become a user in order to be valid in their support, that's a bad idea. I'm not suggesting that we, we, we abandon all of our marketing dollars about use. You'd need to do that if you were a coffee shop or a restaurant or you know, a, a haberdasher. Like you need people to come into your, to your business and, and use it, of course. But the library needs to be able to activate those allies that we have, those folks who are never gonna change their own habits of reading their own habits of media consumption, their own habits of, they don't need to become a user in order to be valid as, as a supporter. I'm gonna tell you guys a confessional story. One of my most amazing stories about libraries is that I didn't have an active library card when I got on the board of trustees for my local library in Berwyn, Illinois. My mother called me after she heard that I interviewed with the mayor to be on the library board. She's like, you need to get a library card. You're a library card renewed, John, because <clears throat> You have to have a library card to be on the library board, son. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. I'm not a, hu I'm not a huge reader, but if that library isn't at the center of my community, Berwyn is a crappier town, quite frankly, for those other people. So I want that library to be there for those other people. There's a lot of people like me. There's a lot of people like me in the community. My, you know, so what do we have to do? We have to market actively. Patrick's done two very innovative things that, that I think are, are helping to move the needle and every library is taking a unique position in that we're starting to market to people not about, to the public, not about using the library, but just simply building some brand awareness. So we did one thing this summer with the podcast. We got another thing coming up with these videos. That's great. Absolutely. Patrick, Patrick, do you want to talk about the podcast for two seconds? Yeah, you know, I, it, I mean, the podcast was an, it was an interesting project. I, we, we're working on playing with talking to people in different areas that haven't really been reached before. Once again, like, like John's pointing out, our goal is not to build users. Our goal is to build supporters, right? Just because we're not a library, we don't need people to use us, right? Like, we want people to support libraries. That's our, that's our end game. We can let libraries worry about users. We can let ALA worry about users. Um, we worry about supporters. Um, and so we do things like, like the podcast ads that, that we put out where, uh, you know, we reach hundreds of thousands of Americans and talk to the importance of libraries on some of the, on some really big name podcasts. Um, we have some really exciting, uh, social, social media, um, uh, video commercials coming out that I, that I'm really excited about, um, that should come out in time for like midwinter. Um, and then, and then. We are building up um, uh, a huge, a huge following on Facebook. And once again, I don't care if the other people who support libraries use use libraries. I want them. I want us to know who they are. 
I want to know how to target them. I want to know how to talk to them about supporting the libraries in their local communities. Great. Excellent. All right. Well, so we have one, one more question for you guys uh, to take us out. Um, obviously, we, we absolutely love uh, the, the advocacy that every library supports. Um, and we'd love to know more about what our listeners can do to help the cause. Well, first off, I mean, thank you for the opportunity to get some exposure here to, through your podcast. You guys have been great. Bywater Solutions has been a, a wonderful corporate citizen in the library space. You guys have been a direct donor to us, and you guys have done something that I think is fantastic in the past, but, and we need to chat about this in the future, Nathan, is you, know, you guys have helped us with a, a, a corporate donation that helps us then encourage individuals to become donors as well, like a matching program. You know, that's, that's super cool. I mean, you guys are not flush with cash, and yet you still show up on this project. That's a big deal. We're lucky right now that there's a lot of people like, like Bywater folks are, uh, not flush with cash, but are showing up as uh, donors, uh, showing up as monthly donors. $5 a month, $10 a month. Our average monthly donor at our action.everylibrary.org site. Action.everylibrary.org, click on monthly donor. The average donation is $7.50, which is pretty amazing. Um, the average donation on a one-time donor, somebody who's like, okay, I got a little bit of money for my tax return. I want to invest it in winning elections for libraries. The average donation is coming in at $48 and about 60 cents. Uh, those are amazing people who are doing that. We need more of them, quite frankly, because we put that money to work winning elections for libraries and doing the kind of digital outreach that Patrick was talking about, making a brand awareness happen for libraries, making a new market for libraries among non-users. Action.everylibrary.org also is our site for petitions and for outreach to, to, to folks, uh, to politicians in particular. We focus a lot on public libraries there and school libraries there. There's some problems that crap, crop up from time to time. We try and address it by bringing the public together. Um, we need your help sharing what we're doing via social media as well. We're every library, one word, every library. The reason that we decided to, to, to call it Every Library, by the way, was with the idea that our mission is that any library problem anywhere should matter to every library everywhere. So it's not trying to, to be too heady. It's just trying to be like, we're all in this together. Every Library on Facebook, at Every Library on Twitter, we need your shares, too, um, to be able to, to amplify our voice. Um, I, I really appreciate what Patrick has done this past year as our political director. He came in at the beginning of... 2016, uh, we had 10,000 people on our list. He grew it by 10 times. We're at 100,000, he said before. Wow. If we can hit that million that he wants, I know, dude, a 10X, like, it's a big, that's a big growth. You know, we got a nice hockey stick in front of us, we hope, when it comes to, to growth in the future. If we can 10X this thing again this year, that gets us to the million people that he identified as being the key differentiator between us always being reactionary in the library space and being proactive. And while I'm not a big fan of the word proactive, I like it better than reactive. Yep. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. So action.everylibrary.org, uh, everylibrary.org is more of our, you know, publishing and, and professional facing stuff, but the action.everylibrary.org with the emphasis on action. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much. This has been so informative for both us and our listeners. Um, uh, Thank you again for joining us today for uh, the Library is Open podcast. For all our listeners out there, make sure to visit action.everylibrary.org as well as everylibrary.org to get some more information. If you haven't signed up to follow them and um, share that social stuff out there, please do that today. We'll, we'll also add those links uh, onto our uh, librariesopen.com 
uh, podcast site where we post our podcasts. And with that, uh, we'll, we'll take you out with some classic reading rainbow music because it came up earlier in the podcast so that you can all kind of get a blast from the past. Thanks for listening, everybody. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow.